Good morning. Good to see you here this morning. The feeding of the 5,000. I love this text from Matthew chapter 14. This is a very important story, and for a number of reasons. One reason is that it is in all four Gospels. If something is in all four Gospels, that's God saying, you especially need to pay attention to this. So, God, our great provider. We see that in the story of the 5,000, and I'm going to get to that story in a minute. But before I do, I want to ask you, is there something in your life right now that you feel like you need, and it's just not there? You desire something, and it doesn't seem to be happening? And, and you wonder if it ever will happen. I can tell you this morning that your needs, your wants, and your desires do not go left unknown and unheard. Our Lord loves you. He's a God of compassion, a God who cares. And a God who says, call upon me in the day of trouble. And I will hear your prayer and answer your prayer. Now, when it comes to our wants and needs and desires, first of all, we have to say this. Not everything that we want, need, or desire is good for us. It's not good. I wanted to be 6'4", 230 pounds, and look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Obviously, that's not good for me. It's not a good look, you know? So that's not going to happen. So just because we want something, we need something, we desire it, it doesn't mean necessarily that that's the best thing for us. God knows that. Second of all, if we want something, need something, and desire something... God can meet that need, and then some, but he may do it in his way, and in his time, and according to his gracious will, and not our own. He may give us what we need, but not necessarily what we want. But God still provides. He still provides. Turn to your neighbor and say, God is good. God is good. And now turn to another another neighbor and say, all the time. He is. God is good all the time. God provides for us in a number of ways. He provides for our personal needs, right? Our physical needs, our spiritual needs. What physical needs do you have today? What are they? Is it an aching back? Is is it depression you're going through? Is it surgery you're going to have to face? Is it cancer? Is it some other sickness? What is it? What about a personal need? Is there something you need in your marriage? You need a better marriage. You need better communication. You need... More love and commitment there in that marriage. You need forgiveness in that marriage. 
You need that. Is it something at work you have a need there? A better job, an understanding boss, dealing with a coworker. See, we all have needs. And then there's the spiritual need, which I would say that's the greatest need. Do you desire a closer walk with God? I would hope that we would all say that. How many of you want a closer walk with God? Raise your hand. Yeah, I desire that. So physical, personal, and spiritual. God is there to meet our needs. And He can. There's a reason He has the name and the title God. But we have another false God on our hands. You know what that false God is? We talked about it in my Bible class a little bit. It is the false God of self. Thinking that the whole world, every problem that we face, every issue of potential calamity and stress, that it all depends on us. And it doesn't. It doesn't. Because Jesus went to the cross for you. He rose to life you. If he can do all of that, he can do anything for you. And Matthew 19, 26 says, nothing is impossible for him. Notice it says nothing. Nothing. So, the gospel reading today. Story, the feeding of the 5,000. You know, when I look at this story, I I see myself in this story. Not as Jesus uh, providing all this food, but I see myself sort of like the disciples. The disciples, you can tell, they've had a long day. We we all know what a long day is like, right? You know, you put in 8, 10, sometimes 12-hour days doing stuff at work. If you're a stay-at-home mom, believe me, you work the hardest, you know? We know that. So, whatever you do... You're working hard, and there comes a time that you're just ready to say, man, I just want to kick my feet up. I am beat. That's the window we see into the world of the disciples here in the feeding of the 5,000. Little context of this this true story. Earlier in the chapter, uh, John the Baptist had been beheaded. He had been killed in prison. And word got back to Jesus about this. And Jesus took it very hard. John the Baptist was a relative of his. He was a very good friend. He was the forerunner, the preparer of the way for Jesus Christ. Jesus said about John, among those born of women, no one has been greater than John the Baptist. That's a great compliment. (laughs) And so Jesus, like anyone would, you find out a good friend has died or been killed. It hits you right here. And so the scriptures tell us that Jesus wanted to be by himself. He went to a remote place, a solitary place to be with his father. But then we're also told that large crowds followed him. Jesus is this great preacher and teacher, this incredible miracle worker. And not everybody understands that he is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah. You have some who think that, oh man, he's just a great guy. Got to hang out with him, see what he's, he's doing. Oh, I've known he's done other miracles. I want to see if he can do this. 
So Jesus is still causing a stir. Some believe, some don't believe, some don't know what to believe. That's the context. So there they are near a town called Bethsaida, right off the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And these large crowds had gathered to hear Jesus. The disciples, we are told, are ready to do what? They want to go home. <laughs> they just want to go home. You know, Lord, you know, let's just, we can't find food for them. I mean, let's just have them get their own and let, let's go. I can see myself in that. I've had days like that that I just want to say, I'm just ready to go home. No, no. Present company excluded. When you're around, no, I don't want to go home when I see you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've done a lot of mission trips where I've put in, and if you've been on a mission trip where you do some long days, and then there's another need that arises. And in my sinful nature, sometimes I've found myself saying, oh, no, couldn't this have waited to tomorrow? And that's how the disciples feel. I know the feeling. And Jesus says, no, we're not going. We're, we're not sending them off. And then in the Gospel of John, it, it gives us a little bit more information. In the Gospel of John, we read that Jesus knew what he was going to do beforehand. He knew he was going to do this miracle. He knew he was going to be the great provider. But in the Gospel of John, it says that he asked Philip, who was from that area near Bethsaida, he asked Philip, and it's John chapter 6 if you're looking for it in the book of John. He asked Philip, hey, where, where are we going to get enough bread for these people? And Philip's like, well, I don't know, you know, I just, there's not enough time and, you know, all of this stuff. And Jesus did that to test him. And so they find this boy, he has five loaves of bread and two fish. And how's that going to feed 5,000 people? By the way, the 5,000 number, that just counted the men. More than likely, if you count women and children and whole families... Most biblical scholars think it was probably right around 15,000, if you're looking for an accurate number. 15,000! How many people go to a Predators game? Is that like 15 or is that 20 or something like that? 17? It's a ballpark, you know? Imagine feeding all of those people with five loaves of bread and two fish, you know? Well, if you tried that at a Predators game, I think they'd want the nachos, you know, and, you know, and, and whatever, you know. But that's what, what Jesus is up against. And so he takes the five loaves and the two fish, he blesses them, and then all of a sudden there is enough food for everyone. Jesus has compassion on the people. That's what it says in our text. He has compassion on them. Their, their need for food, their need to be fed. Also, he knows that if they're hungry, it's going to be tough to listen to what? A sermon. That's why I'll have you out of here. And, uh, you know. <laughs> so Jesus has compassion on his people. And the Bible tells us right there in our text how many basketfuls were left over? Twelve. Twelve basketfuls. That's incredible. Again, that story is told in all four 
Gospels. To me, it, it ties in very nicely with one of my favorite passages in the Bible, Ephesians 3, verse 20. It says in that passage, our God who is able to give us more than we could ever ask or imagine. Boy, he did that with the feeding of the 5,000. So if Jesus can do that, can he take care of whatever is burdening you today? This same Jesus who made the lame walk, the blind see, the same Jesus who spoke to dead people and they rose from the grave, can he take care of whatever is burdening you today? Can he provide? Can he provide for your physical need? Can he provide for your personal need? Can he provide spiritually for you? All the rest. The answer is what? Yes. You bet. I love Matthew 6 verse 33. It it tells us what to do in a time of need. When we need provision. We need a provider. It says in Matthew 6. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And live righteously. And he will give you everything that you need. Everything. It goes on to say in Matthew 6 that, hey, he takes care of the lilies of the field, the birds of the air, and he loves us far more than a flower in a garden and a bird flying up in the air. He's going to take care of you. You can believe it. You can trust in that. God is faithful. He is good. What? Some of the time? No, all of the time. But we battle something in our sinful nature. It's one word. We all battle it when it comes to provision. It's worry. It's worry. There are times that I worry. Uh, You know, I've been married almost 20 years. My wife can tell when I'm worrying. She'll just, she'll say this thing. What are you thinking about? I don't like it when she asks me that. What are you thinking about? Guys, does your wife ever say, hey, what are you thinking about? You know, it's because they're concerned about us. You know, they know we're... But sometimes I don't want to, like, spell it out. And sometimes I'll say nothing. She goes, that's not true. You're thinking about something. I'm like, okay, I'll tell you. You know, I'll tell you. We worry, don't we? You worry is a false god. When we worry, and that's different than being concerned. Concern is you realize there's an issue and you have to deal with it. Okay? Worry is very different from concern. Worry is you've put yourself in God's place and you think it all depends on you to make it work. Think of how many sleepless nights we've all had over worry. And our Lord says, who can add a single hour to his life by worrying? You can subtract a lot of hours, right? You know what I've noticed about worry? I'll just say this about myself is that what I really worry about and lose sleep over, it seldom happens. <laughs> it's what I don't worry about. <laughs> you know, don't worship the false god of worry. I think about the, the fourth petition to the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. We're just asking in prayer that God will meet all of our needs. Not just 
food, but good government, good job, good family life. And that he's just going to meet those needs one way or the other. Somehow, some way. He'll give us what we need, not necessarily what we want, but what we need. So why don't we always seek God first then? Well, we don't seek God first because we're worriers. And we end up being worriers because oftentimes we rely upon our own wisdom and our own experience. Now, wisdom and experience are good things. But none of us are wiser than God. And none of us have as much experience as God. And there will be a time, there will be a day, if it hasn't happened already, it will happen. There will be a time and a day that your wisdom and your experience and your savvy for business and whatever it may be will not be enough to solve a problem in your life. If that hasn't happened already, it will. There'll be a day that you're not going to be smart enough to deal with it. And when that day happens, God wants you to turn to him. In fact, he wants you to turn to him before that day happens. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Don't worry about it. Give it to God. It's better off in his hands. Things that stay in our hands, we fumble. You know, I think football season's, you know, it's, it's coming up, right? The coaches always say, don't fumble. And they always want to put the ball in the hands of the best player when they're near the goal line. Why? So that there's no fumble, so that there's no miscue. Well, the best player out there is Jesus Christ, and he never fumbles. You've got to give him the ball. He's ready to take it across the goal line for you. And there's no defense too tough for him to break through. Whether it's cancer, whether it's depression, whether it's loss of finances... You name it, Jesus can break through that for you. And yeah, he's the ultimate superhero. He is. We're not the superhero. That's when things go awry, thinking that we are. I love Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6. It says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. Another verse I love, it was my grandfather's confirmation verse. Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the ways of the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. If you feel like you're in need, ask yourself, am I following the Lord? Am I looking to him for help? Am I living inside of God's will or am I living outside of God's will? Part of living inside of God's will is to seek Him while He can still be found. Seek Him. 
I want to close with this. And it's a story from the Bible, which someone made reference to in our Bible class. And it's uh, Genesis chapter 22. Anybody remember what happened in Genesis 22? Abraham was to take his son Isaac to Mount Moriah and to sacrifice him there. He's being tested. He's being tested to see if he would trust that God would provide. That he would save his son somehow, some way. And elsewhere in Scripture, it tells us that Abraham was a man of faith. He was a man of faith prior to that testing. And he believed that even if Isaac ended up being sacrificed, that somehow God would rise him to life, would bring him back to life. So in Genesis 22, Abraham is told to take his son, Isaac, to sacrifice him. And then all of a sudden, a voice cries out. It's the angel of the Lord saying, stop, don't do that. And the Lord provided a substitute. A ram was caught in the brush there. And that ram became the sacrifice. And Abraham's son, Isaac, was spared. Abraham believed that God would provide. That story is incredible in a whole bunch of different ways. That deserves a whole hour or two, actually, more than I can give it today. But also that story points us to the greater sacrifice, the greater substitute, and that was Jesus Christ himself who provided himself for our salvation. And if he can do that by going to the cross and rising to life on the third day, he can meet whatever you're going to face when you walk out these doors. You can believe in that. You can trust in that. So I would say this. When you go to the Lord, are you praying to Him? Are you in the Word of God? Are you coming to worship regularly? Are you involved in a small group, a daily devotion? All of those are ways... That you learn and you see how God is providing for you and how he will provide for you. You know what's interesting? At the end of Genesis 22, that story, Abraham was so happy, he was so thankful to the Lord, that it's the only place in the scriptures that a man actually gives a name to God. And Abraham called that place... And he did it in reference to God himself. He called that place Jehovah-Jireh, which means the Lord provides. He provides. God is good all the time. Amen.